Thank you for listening to the Reclaim Church podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to your life. For more information on our church, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at ReclaimTX. Now, please enjoy this message. So we're in the series called Warrior, and um, last week I talked about the wounded warrior and how we can easily let our deficiencies and our, and our brokenness um, turn us from the will of God. Right? Have you ever been, been told that, hey, God has a plan for your life and you quickly go to why he wouldn't call you? Right? So that's what we talked about. And if you want to hear the message, it's actually our podcast. And so you could hear those messages. But today I want to talk about the advancement of a warrior. And the reason I want to talk about this is because sometimes I, I'm, if we're not too careful, we can glorify the past and not push forward to the future. Right? And so that's why this morning I said, hey, God did something great last week. It was good last week, but last week is last week. Right? Last week is what happened last. And the good thing about it is if you made some mistakes this week, if you fell in some ways this week, in the past few days, guess what? The past few days are the past few days. Right? God is doing something new. And so I don't want us to get into the habit as Christians and as a church to glorify in an ungodly way, the things that God has done. And you can do that. That can be done. Isaiah 43, 19 says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do not perceive it. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God is saying, I'm going to do something new for you. Now you could say, well, that prophecy is for them and for the book of I get it, I get it. But this is the personality of God. That he would create new things. Right? The Bible says we are a New creation. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. God is a God in the new. Now we honor the past and we remember the past and we don't don't talk down on what God has done, but we don't glorify it and say, oh, the good old days. Right? You've heard those phrases, right? I love the good days. I like talking about them. I personally think my childhood era was the best childhood era. That's just what I'm going to say. I'm a 90s kid. All right? I liked it. I liked the, the mix of, of outdoor and technology. I thought that was amazing, right? I, the, car, the Saturday morning cartoons, that was amazing. I loved it, right? There was something about not being able to choose what was on and just appreciating what was there, right? I just loved it. My kids, like, they have too many choices these days. I want this. I want that. I'm just like, just stop. You don't get nothing. No, I'm kidding. That's messed up. <laughs> But I, but I remember the good days, and, and I, I like that. But, I, but what, I, what I find myself doing with my kids is, is I'll tell them things, oh, well, like when I was a kid. Well, when I was a kid, I played outside more. I didn't, well, I didn't look at the iPad like you look at the iPad. But this is the thing, because I didn't have an iPad. And I think if I had an iPad, I might be on it just as much as they are. I'm just being honest with you. But my kids are in a different era. They're in a different season. My good days were good, but their days will be better. But we, we constantly do this, and, and honestly, we can honor the past, but we have to be obedient to where God is leading us into the future. We can't just constantly, like we, we, we often say when we look at new, new moves of God, we, 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 t- we talk down on it because it doesn't look like what God did before. Oh, that's not God, because when I was in that kind of move, it looked like this. And it looked like that. And so when God does something new, we immediately kind of, hold on. Let's hold on to the, to the old because it's comfortable, because it's easy, and because it's familiar. Right? Even, listen, I'm going to tell you this right now. Our church will grow. Yes, and that we celebrate that. That's amazing. But there's going to be a time 
when you can't talk to everybody that you talk to. And you can say, well, I missed the church when it was small, the old days. You can say that. Or you can embrace what God is doing in the future. I've come to a place as a pastor, and I've shared this with some of you guys. I never thought it would be this difficult to talk to every single person in my church. I'm being honest with you. I remember I used to say, well, if we had about 100 people, I'm sure I could talk to every single one. It's impossible. Right? But I can say, well, I missed when we were in our house and we had 15 people and we were just hanging out. And I was able to sit down. I can say that or I can embrace what God is doing now. You get what I'm saying? See, we honor the past. We honor what God has done. What God has done is good things. We don't talk bad about it. We don't bash it. We don't make fun of it. We honor it. But we also look forward to what God is doing in the future. See, David is a great example of this. I'm going to talk about David the warrior today and what it looks like to advance the kingdom of God as warriors. Warriors are never meant to be complacent or stuck in the past, but we're meant to go forward. First Samuel 16.1, this is after uh, Saul had basically lost the, the authority of the king. He was no longer anointed for the king to be the king. And, and the Lord spoke to Samuel, and Samuel was all bummed about it, and he's upset. And the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. See, Saul was a representation of what God did, and David was a sign of what was to come. But what what Samuel was doing is he he was mourning for what was. God says, stop doing that. Get your horn, fill it with oil, and go. There's something new coming. Don't be so stuck in... What was that you're mourning over it and forgetting about what is going to come into your life? You know, when, when we lose the job and it's like, oh, man, we're bummed about it. And God's like, why are you bummed about it? I took you out of that to put you into a better place, right? Or we lose those relationships or those friendships and we're bummed about it. And God's like, stop mourning over what was, but celebrate what is coming. And so David... I'm going to read the story of David and Goliath, and he really shows us there's things about David. Why did God choose David? Why was David the one that was known after God's own heart? What was, about, what was it about David? And we're going to look into the story of David and Goliath and, and find some things about a warrior that I think each one of us needs to, to, to inherit these traits that David had. 1 Samuel 17, 1 through 11, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko which belongs to Judah and encamped between Soko and his, is it, I'm going to skip the names, guys. I have a problem reading these, okay? Sorry. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and the Israel, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Some, I believe it's nine feet, nine inches. That's insane. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung, uh, slung between his shoulders. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and I kill him, 
Then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines did, and the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. Lord, help us to honor and, and bring reverence to the word that you give us, God. I pray that we wouldn't take this message lightly, but Lord, let us see in ourselves what needs to change so that we can begin to advance your kingdom. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have this scene. There's this giant, this nine feet, nine inches. That's extremely tall. And uh, he's coming against Israelites. And, and what he was is, is Goliath was basically a, a, a representation of the Philistines. And so he was able to fight one person. And if, if he won, he represented the entire army. And so he was coming out as this very intimidating uh, figure over the Israelites and saying, hey, you've got to fight me. And we see that they immediately were afraid. And so we jump down a, little to a couple more verses. And, we, and, we, and David comes into the story in 1 Samuel 17, verse 17 through 20. And Jesse, his father, said to David, his son, Take your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line shouting the war cry. See, David, we understand in this story that David goes on and he fights Goliath and we're going to read about it. But what were David's steps to get there? The first thing that David was doing is he was taking care of his assignments. He was walking in obedience. It says that David rose early and left his sheep with the keeper. He didn't abandon his current position or his current season to go and fight. He took care of what he had in his hand at the moment. Luke 16, 10 says, one who is faithful in very little is also in faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. See, we cannot, we cannot neglect what's already in our hand to try to get into the next season. I can't neglect my family to try to fight devils. I can't neglect my kids to try to build disciples. I have to take care of what's in my hand first in order to get into the next season. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? You can't neglect your marriage. We have all these men, they want to be known, they want to be known pastors, they want to be known people, but they can't even treat their wife right. The, the, can I be honest with you? Can I be honest? The Lord convicted me the other day because I was at Target with the family. And if you were a guy and you know about Target, it is not fun. I don't like going to Target with the family. I don't mind going with just my wife. That's fine. But when you got the kids, because this, I'm going to go on a little rant. Is my wife in the building? Okay, I'm going to go on a little rant, all right? I have three kids, all under the age of five years old. Now, if you know that, then you know that none of these kids want to sit in the cart. None of them. It'd be easy if they all just sat in the cart, right? Come on, guys, help me out here. So what happens when I go to Target is some, somewhere within the moment we get into the door to the moment we're five minutes into the store, my wife disappears. And I don't know where she goes. It's like she vanishes, like she's got this magic trick, like she's gone. And now I have all three kids it, in, you know what I'm saying? And they're like, Dad, I want to go look at the toys. I'm like, okay, but if we go look at the toys, then you want to get out and touch the toys. And then you want to run, and it's just not going to happen. Then I got three crying kids, and it's just a miserable, miserable, miserable time. Okay? Can you relate? Thank you. I'm not alone. Praise God. 
But see, I was in Target. I was in Target, and I was so frustrated. I was like, we need to go right now. We had nowhere to go. But I was like, we got to go right now. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to say, babe, seriously, it's time to go, like now. And I was going to get my serious face on, right, which doesn't make a difference, if I'm being honest. And so the Lord convicted me. He's like, he's like how come you could be so nice to the people in your church and treat your wife like this? And I was like, oh. I was like, because, God, they don't take me to Target and leave me with my kids. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, but what we do is, is how often do we do this? We, we neglect what's in our hands already. And we invest in something we haven't attained, obtained yet. Right? You have a family. You don't need to put so many hours in work that you neglect your kids. Are you understanding what I'm saying today? We have to invest into what we have today. You have a job. You have a job. Listen, you've got a job, right? And how many are praying for a raise? Let's just be honest. Well, God is saying, well, what are you doing with the paycheck you got now? Are you investing what you have now or are you just waiting for the next season? See, what God is doing is he wants to give us good things. He wants to give you great seasons. He wants to give you great responsibility. But he's looking at what you're doing now. Are you obedient in the little things, in the small things? We want the big, right? We want, we want the well-known things. God is like, what are you doing with your prayer life? God, I want healing. I need healing. Heal my family. Heal my marriage. Heal my finances. Give me a better job. Lord, open opportunity for careers and schooling and, and all these different things. And he's like, well, why are you not praying? Why is God going to bless us in a new season if we can't honor the season that we're in now? Do you get what I'm saying? David is living and he's walking in obedience. He's being obedient in the very little things. He didn't force opportunity. He didn't force it. A lot of, a lot of times we force God's hand. Hey, God, I'm going to do this. Could you bless it? God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here. Can you bless it? We force his hand. God, I'm going to stay in this relationship. Could you bless it? God, I'm trying to exit my marriage. Could you bless my decision? It's crazy that some people think divorce is the answer. Divorce is never the answer. You say, well, the Bible says you can get divorced. No, no, Jesus says because of your wicked heart. I, Moses had to give you something. You get what I'm saying? But we, we force God's hand and we say, okay, Lord, bless what I'm doing. Even though I did it without you, I need you to bless where I'm in now. Guess what? When he does it, who do we blame? We blame God. Right? You get what I'm saying? I got to keep saying that over and over because I got, I know you all get what I'm saying right here, but I need to hear from somebody else. Like, I understand you. I get where you're coming from. You can't force God's hand. See, the whole reason David's on the scene is because Saul tried to force God's hand. There was a moment in time where Saul was with his troops, he was with his people, and he was waiting on the prophet to come give an offering. Saul was not anointed or called to be a priest or a prophet to give the offering. He was a king. But because his people were afraid and they were waiting on the prophets, Saul says, oh, well, I'm just going to take the offering anyway. And God better anoint it. 
And so look what he says at the end of the scripture in 1 Samuel 13, 11, and 12. He says, Saul, oh, I'll just read the whole thing. Samuel comes on the scene. He says, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. So I forced, I, I put myself in a position that I was never called to. We got a lot of opportunity in our lives. But listen, if you, wanna, if you want your life to be blessed, you have to come to a place to say, God, where do you want me to be? I'm not going to force myself to be somewhere that you don't want me. I'm not going to force myself to be a pastor. Can I, 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 I got a lot of friends back at home, and, and I love them dearly. And a lot of people that I know, they're like, I want to be a pastor one day. I want to be a pastor one day. And I'm like, here in the middle of them, I'm like, are you sure? Because it's not easy. If I guarantee that I would have quit if I was not appointed by God. If I was not anointed to be here, it's too hard. I don't want to be somewhere God is not. I don't want to put myself in a position that God hasn't called me. Let God open the doors. Let God open the doors for you. Let God open the doors of favor. Stop trying to manipulate your way to the top at your job and let God open the doors for you. Amen. But can I tell you this, that when God opens a door... It's, rare, it's rarely, rarely easy to walk through, and it requires a lot of faith. God opportunities require faith. Forced opportunities are very well planned by us. Be confident in your season. Be confident with where God has you right now. You don't have to be somebody you're not. Like, I... I, I I just, I want this, if our church would be a church of anything, I pray that it would be a church of empowered Christians that know who they are. They don't have to call on the pastor every time something goes wrong. Now listen, I'm there, and I'm willing to pray with you, and I'm willing to show up when you need it, but you have power too. You don't have to be a titled Christian. You don't have to be in a certain season in order to get the ear of God. You just have to be obedient and respect and be confident in the season you are today. See, David was more, com- was more comfortable as a shepherd than in the soldier's armor. 1 Samuel 17, 38 through 40. And I'm trying to, I'm getting through this. We don't, is this helping anybody today? Run out of breath. I need to take a, take a, need to take a water break. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. So David comes on the scene, and I'm, it's a little bit out of order, but we're going to jump to it pretty soon. And he basically tells him, like, hey, I'll fight him. You guys are all scared. I'll fight him. David's not even a soldier. He's like, I'll take it. So Saul's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like somebody's coming. Whew, all right. So Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried, to, he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go in these, for I have not tested them. God will test you for the next season in the current season. God's not going to put you in a place without the power. He's not going to make you go somewhere without his power. Amen. All right, that's, that's not on my notes. That's, there we go. So David put, them, David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. See, when we're led by the Spirit, we can be confident with who we are right now. 
David was like, listen, man, I appreciate the armor, but I'm just not comfortable there. I, I'm comfortable as a shepherd. I'm comfortable in the season that I'm at now. Now, I can accomplish great things in this season without looking like you. I can accomplish great things where I'm at without trying to be something I'm not. Listen, you guys know me. I'm not, I just said I can't read these words. Like, I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not the most qualified to be a pastor. I'm just, you're like, man, he says this a lot. I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to, trying to push it on us because none of us are qualified for the work of God. It's all empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But listen, David is confident in his season. You can pray for more. You can say, God, I want to be greater and I want to be better and I want to be. You can pray for all that and, and that's not bad. But own your season. Own where you are right now. Be confident with what you're doing right now and do it the best that you can. Some of you, some of you, the mothers with little kids are like, I can't do anything because I have kids. That's your season. That is your season. Do your best with the season that you're in. For me, too, it's like, man, God, it's hard to pastor a church with three little kids. It's hard because I'm trying to talk to someone. Then I got my daughter. Dad, look at me. I got, look at this picture. It's great. I'm just kidding. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. But I'm embracing what I have now. I'm, I'm confident not in myself, but I'm confident in my season. We may not have the biggest church. We may not have the most money, but we are confident in our season today. We're going to embrace our season. Now, own your gift. Own your talent. Do what God has called you to do and do it to glorify him. It was in his season as a shepherd that the Lord taught David what it was to fight. See, the truth is that when you advance the kingdom and when you step out in faith, you will not please everybody. I'm just going to tell you right now, you're not going to make everybody happy. 1 Samuel 17, 28. Now Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard. David was, in the, David was there, not a, not a soldier. Imagine if you're the older brother. He's not a soldier. David's there. He's in his shepherd's gear. He's like, hey, what's going on, guys? You guys need some help? Like, come on, bro. Like, yeah, we do, but not from you, right? Like, find somebody else. And David's in his, with his little sling, and he's, he's there like, hey, what's going on? Now, Eliab comes up, and he says, it says, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down, and with whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. See, People will often question your motives, and they'll question your heart. You're just, you're just trying, you think you're better than me, right? I don't know who said that. Somebody said that. You, you're just trying to make me feel bad about what I'm doing. No, 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 no. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm just doing what God called me to do. I'm not, I'm not here to please people. Now, I love people, and I want people to be happy, and I want people to have the joy of the Lord, and I want people to be confident in themselves. But listen, my goal as a pastor is not to please you. It's not to please the congregation. This is the truth. Now, you could probably find somebody that would do that. It's not here. That's why we're, we, we still have empty chairs. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But that's not, listen, your, your job is not to please your family. Your job is not to please your aunt and your uncle and your grandma and your mom and your dad. That's not our job. Jesus comes and he's like, hey, listen. If you want to follow me, you got to hate your mother and your brother. Now, Jesus is not saying, like, really hate people because some of us are like, oh, praise God. Does he, say, does he say spouse too, right? Like, come on. 
no, what Jesus is saying is like in comparison to your love for me. So we're not people pleasers. Eliab comes to David and he's like, hey, dude, get the heck out of here, man. What are you doing in here? You don't belong here. Where's your sheep? Right? What I love about this is in the next scripture, I don't have it here, but David, David like looks at him and it says, then he just asks somebody else. His brother's yelling at him. He's like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> David did not even address him. He did not say, hey, man, listen, I left my sheep with somebody else. They're, we know. We saw it. It says he left his sheep with somebody. He was taking care of his sheep. But David didn't tell his brother, hey, man, I got this. Don't worry about it. No, 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 no. We don't have to respond to everybody that says something about us. You don't have to give an excuse for being obedient to the Lord. You don't have to do that. I don't need to respond to people. Now, I do because I love people if they're in the right heart. But when they're criticizing, psh. next person, what's up? What's happening? David just ignored him. But listen, we have to have the right motives. If, if your motivation is just to ignore people, is just to offend people, then you're probably not walking in the will of the Lord. My motivation is not to bother people. My motivation is to please the Lord. When we come to this church, and you guys have seen it, we don't, we're not looking at the clock all the time and trying to rush worship and trying to rush what God is doing. We're not, we're not doing all that. Why? Because we're not pleasing people. We're pleasing the Lord. And I've come to find that his presence is so precious that when he comes, you hold on tight. So that was point one. I got like ten more. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Number two, so number one, he was obedient in a season. Number two, he, was, he understood the cause. David comes and he says this. He, he said, I'm going to read two verses, 17, 32, and verse 47. David says, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistines. Your servant will go and fight. For, verse 47, he says, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. See, a good cause will keep you motivated. Most of us, we leave the will of God because we're unsure of our purpose. And we come to a place where we're like, it's very unclear. God, what am I called to do? What am I supposed to do? And if we don't get an answer right away, we end up walking away because we feel like there's no purpose. But what motivates you to come to church? What motivates you to say, hey, I'm a Christian? What's your motivation in life? See, we have to find the cause what is the cause? Lord, why am, I, why am I serving? Why did you call me here? Why are you speaking to me? Why should I be saved? Why should I follow you? What is the cause? Can I tell you the secret to finding the cause is to find his heart. When you find his heart, it reveals the cause. Too many of us are trying to figure God out without seeking him. We don't figure him out. We understand him when he reveals himself to us. Two things that I, that I believe, and I'm, I'm just about done, is David comes on, on, onto, this, onto this battlefield and he says, don't, I don't, basically, I don't want their hearts to fail. So he comes to restore the heart of men. I want, other, I want others to know Jesus. The reason we have this church, the reason we pay these bills, the reason we, we, we spend time in practice and worship and spend time cleaning and spend time on working the messages, the reason we come and serve in the church 
is so that others can know Jesus. It comes down to that. We're not a Christian club. We're not a feel-good church, come and feel good about yourself. That's not what we're about. We want people to know Jesus. I want people to know Jesus. Robert and Daphne are standing here saying, I was out of church. I, I wasn't saved. Think about that. We, listen, like, hold on. We so often forget what it means to be saved. Somebody can stand up here and say, I wasn't saved before, and now I am. And we're like, oh, praise God. They were on their way to eternity without Jesus. And God stopped them. And they said yes to this calling from the Lord to say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And can I tell you, I was so happy because I bet you when they left their church, the enemy was praising and he was happy. And he was like, oh, they're gone. Now they're mine. But guess what? We, we planted a little church right here in the city of Hutto where nobody really knows about. And all of a sudden... Every plan that the devil had for them, something came in the way of that. And God came and he answered. Why? Because our motivation is people. My motivation is that somebody would know Jesus. I'm not motivated by fame. I'm not motivated by money. People can't buy me. I can't be influenced. Hey, can you preach a lighter gospel? Can you preach a lighter message? You'd have more people. I don't care about that. I want people to know real who Jesus really is. That's our heart. That's our motivation. What's yours? Man, you guys getting me yelling over here. I feel like I'm back at home right now. I'll tell you that. Listen, my life is a life that's supposed to represent the gospel and represent Jesus. See, we either clarify or distort the image of God. By the example we set. Check this out. I might go a little bit longer today, guys. If it's your first time, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I promise you we don't always go this long. Mark 9, 17 through 18, and then we're going to jump down to verse 21 and 23. It says, and someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able to. Now listen to this. We jump down. And Jesus, and so Jesus rebukes him. He's like, you're faithless. What the heck is going on with you guys? Verse 21. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything. Now let's stop there. Take it down. Don't read ahead. Take it down. Shh, shh. Don't look, look at me. The man comes to Jesus. Now, he's heard of all that Jesus has already done. He's heard of the miracles. He's heard of the healings. He's heard of the demons being cast out. He's heard of all these things, the paralyzed are walking, the blind see, the deaf hear, the, the, the bound are set free. All these things are happening. But he comes to the disciples, and he's like, hey, could you pray with him? Because there was something. Now, listen, I don't think we talk about this much, but the man had enough faith to ask the disciples to pray, not Jesus. It was almost like, well, you've been with him. Can you pray for him? I never even thought about that. But something about this man, he went to the disciples, he's like, could you pray for them? And they, they prayed, and what happens? Nothing. And so he comes to Jesus, and he says, hey, could you pray for my son? They did, and they weren't able to do it. So Jesus, if you can, could you do it? And one of the, one of the translations, Jesus is like, what do you mean if? 
Like almost like, have you not heard the stories? Have you not heard of what I've done? Have you not heard of all the prayers that have been answered, all the healings that have taken place? What do you mean if I can? And then he says, if anybody would believe, he would receive it. But the disciples, because of their lack of faith, distorted the image of who Jesus was to this man to get him to a point to respond to God and say, if you can. The way you live, the way you respond to your trials, the way you respond to arguments and the way you respond to people will set up an environment around you where people enter into your circle and look at you and say, is that how God is? Hold on, hold on. You believe the gospel, but you're not praying for the sick? You believe the gospel, but you don't think I could be healed? You believe the gospel, but you're throwing in the towel on your marriage? You're getting in this, and you're, getting in, you're creating this circle of influence that people walk in, and that's how they see God. Isn't that crazy? I want people to come around me and believe that anything could happen. Now, I'm not responsible for God doing the miracle, but I'm responsible for believing. It's not my power. So when people come around me and they're like, hey, my, my grandma has cancer. Can you pray? Absolutely. She's going to be healed. We're going to believe it. Hey, my, 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 my friend is blind. Can he see? Absolutely. Bring him to church. We're going to see him get healed. We're going to see his eyes open. We're going to see their ears open. We're going to see that happen. We're going to see marriages restored. We're going to see families restored. We're going to see people who were lost come to Jesus. This is going to happen. Why? Because we believe it. People are not going to come to our church and doubt God. They're not going to walk into our building and say, oh, man, God's not there. No. Because we either clarify or distort the image of God. How we live. How do you treat your wife? How do you treat your kids? How do you treat your boss? How do you treat your coworkers? How do you treat these people that are around you that you're supposed to love and you won't even talk to them? It's the image of God. Crazy. I'm like, shh, getting lost in my notes here. See, our example can either motivate others to search for God or discourage them to search. You get what I'm saying? What kind of life will you live? See, Jesus, not Jesus, David was there and he came to the battle. He had motivation of, to restore the hearts of men and secondly was to make the, make the name of God famous. David didn't, didn't care about his own fame. He said, I'm coming here so that they would know that this is the Lord's battle. Not that I want it, but that the Lord wanted it for you. Our motivation should be in glorifying the name of Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm heartbroken, honestly. I am, I'm telling you this now, and, and it might sound crazy, and you may not believe it, but I believe in crazy things. I think a revival is coming. And we're going to see people come to know Jesus. And I've been praying for this. I've been on my knees, and we've been praying, we've been praying, we've been praying. God, open the heavens over Hutto. Open the heavens over Austin. Open the heavens over our region. God, would you do something? Would you do something? I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. I'm seeking the Lord. And then all of a sudden, people start coming to the church. I'm like, okay, God, could you start touching them? And all of a sudden, God starts touching them, and we're praying, and we're believing, and we're praying, and we're believing revival is coming. God is going to move. Can I tell you, we will see the blind eye open. We will see it. We will see it. I'm telling you right now, we will see it. We'll see it here. If you know somebody blind, bring them. I'm serious. Bring them. Because the Lord's going to open their eyes. We're going to see it. God, God, what God is going to begin to do, because how many of you feel the presence of God? 
we feel the presence of God. Listen, but what God is going to begin to do, he's going to begin to back up his presence with his power. I'm telling you what's going to happen. We're going to see it happen. Not just in our church, but God is going to begin to wake up the dead, the spiritual dead. And people are going to open their eyes to see the Lord. I've been praying. I've been praying. I've been praying, Lord, could you back up your presence at our church with your power? Can I tell you? He said yes. Can I tell you why? Because we're a church that doesn't seek his hand, but we seek his heart. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to advance. We're going to move forward. God is going to do something new. Are you going to be a part of it? And last, the last thing I want to talk about, and, and if, you, if the pads are on and keys are on, we could play those. Or baby, if you want to come up, play lightly, please. There it is. Last thing that David did is, is he remembered what God had done. See, the mistake of Israel, now what we see constantly in the Old Testament, because I'm gonna, you know the pattern, right? Israel, they come to the Lord, they repent, and they turn away. They repent, they turn away, and they repent. It's like this, sounds like some of us, right? But what, what you see is happening is, is you see it in, after the, um, I believe it was when they crossed the Jordan. The Lord speaks to Joshua and he's like, hey, I want you to set up a memorial so that when your kids come and when generations after generations, you can bring them here and you can remind them what I did. But what Israel constantly did is they would forget what God had done. So here now we see these, the children of Israel standing at this battle and they're across the valley from the Philistines. They, they've conquered people before. They've seen God's hand move before. But for some reason, because Goliath comes out, they forget what God has done. They forgot to pass this on to generation, to generation, that the Lord has done good things, that the Lord is faithful, that he's powerful, that he's righteous, and that he's holy. See, can I tell you this? When you forget what God has done, it leads to fear. When I forget what God has done, then whatever is coming against me in the next season of my life, or even in the current, I'm afraid of it because I forgot what he's done. So it's almost like, no, God, I can't, I can't get through this. I can't, it's too big, it's too strong, it's too scary. But did you forget what he's done before? And some of us are like, well, God never really done anything in my life. No, he has, you're just taking credit. Well, I, I got the job, I, I saved the money. I took care of my family. No, 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 who gave you the mind? Who gave you the will? Who gave you the power? Was it you? No, we give ourselves credit for what God has done. And that's why we doubt that God could help us in the next one. You get what I'm saying? You, you, you get where we're going with this, right? We forget what God has done or we don't give him credit. And so now when we're up against something and God is saying move forward, go through it, give it up, surrender, fight. We're saying no because we forgot or we took credit. I'm gonna, I want to remember what he's done. I want to remember. I'm going to jump down a little bit. When we remember, it leads to victory. Now listen to this. I'm going to read a, a, somewhat of a lot of scripture right now. And this is the end of the battle. Now David, is he's there and he, 
he, he's got it. He's, he's, he's ready. He's, he's told all the other guys, like, I'll take care of this. I got this. Now David's about to fight. And it says, now David said to the Philistine, you come against me with, with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. People need to know that God is still alive. I pray that this church is a light to our city. That when some, somebody around you says, man, I, I wonder if God, you want to know God? He's alive in Hutto. Let's move on. All those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear. The Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. And the Philistine moved closer to attack him. And David ran quickly or he advanced toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it, struck the Philistine in the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Now listen, I, I love what, what this kind of came together as. I want to remember what God has done in my life. Goliath, come, Goliath comes to the, to the Israelites. He's got a big sword, right? This sword was intimidating. It was scary. It was, it was the weapon that Goliath kind of showed to his enemy to say, hey, look, I'm more powerful than you are. But David took that weapon and cut off his head. He took the weapon of Goliath and cut off Goliath's head. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because the very thing that the enemy is using to intimidate your life, the very thing that the enemy is putting before you and saying, ha, you can't overcome this because of this. So you can't, your marriage ain't going to get better because of this. Your, your kids are not going to get better because they're, they're with me. And, I, and he uses these things to intimidate us. But what happens is when God gives us the victory, we begin to cut his head off with his weapon. Now what do I mean? Listen, listen, when I first got married, two years in, I was... Ask my wife. Now, she says it's not as bad. I'm just a little bit more emotional, I guess. But listen, two years in, about a year, maybe a year, year and a half, I was honestly ready to be done. I couldn't stand her. She couldn't stand me. Our marriage was a wreck. Now, when I say a wreck, we're fighting, arguing all the time. It was like, I'd, and I'm sure some of you could relate, but I'd be in my work truck. I'd pull up to the house. I'd be like, God, I don't even want to go inside. I don't even want to go inside. We're just going to fight. going to argue about something. All the time. I would pray, God, can you please, <laughs> this is dumb prayer, but God, can you please find a way that I can get out of this marriage? I would pray for that. I was so, so fed up, and the enemy was using it in my face, like, ha, you can't do something for God because of your marriage. It's messed up. But listen, God healed it. God healed my marriage. I love my wife. We're never, we're, she can't get rid of me. Even she wanted to, but she doesn't, thank God. So now, I take what the enemy used in my life to intimidate me. I say, ha, look, look what God has done. Look what God has done. And I use my, the intimidation weapon 
and I cut off his head. You know how I cut off his head? I tell people, hey, I was there with you too. God can make a way for you. I've been there. I've done that. I was there. I was in that season. God could bring healing to your marriage. So what, God, what the enemy meant for evil, God uses for good. But we have to remember. We have to remember. And last, my last point, I promise you. When we remember, it creates and inspires more warriors. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of, men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines. Because of David's bravery and his victory, the rest of the Israelites advanced forward. If we constantly live in the past of what was done, we will miss out on the future of what can be. Listen, guys, our church is not here for this year or this, this decade. We're here for the next generation and the generation after that. We will not be a church that dies in 10 years. We will not be a church that dies in 50 years. We're going to be a church that in however long God is letting us stay here, they're going to look back and say, man, that church is still around. Why? Because we're going after generations and generations and generations. I'm so happy you guys keep having babies because, one, my wife don't have to have another one, and, two, we're getting more generations and generations. We're in it for legacy. We're in it for legacy. I have to say this and then we'll close. Please, parents, do not be a Christian at church and a a flesh-led person at home because that's how we lose a generation. That's how we lose a generation because parents don't walk in the spirit I was talking to one of my friends about this the other day. We're saying, man, it's so important that we impart spiritual things into our kids. Live for the next. We're advancing in the future. We're we're moving forward. God is doing a new thing. Can you see it? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. We hope that you enjoyed this message. For more information on our church, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at ReclaimTX or check us out on our website, reclaimchurchtx.com. Thank you for listening.